Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Teacher in Zion, and this is Episode 9 of the podcast, entitled, Nobody Knows What's in the Book of Mormon, Part 2. In this episode, we'll talk about what the Book of Mormon actually says about polygamy. Now, if you're a non-Mormon, stick around. You may be surprised by what you learn. And if you are a Mormon, basically any of the churches or groups who trace their history back to Joseph Smith, especially if you struggle with this part of church history, I think what I have to share will be of interest to some of you as well. I know this can be an uncomfortable topic for many Mormons, especially those who are a part of the LDS Church, as it is a part of their history, one that has mostly been swept under the carpet by the leadership of the Church. I think the Church institution would really prefer that the rest of the world would just forget about their association to polygamy and maybe a couple of other things from their history, but it's not going to go away. And that history has been the cause for some to leave the church or even lose their faith in God altogether. But I'm here to tell you that some of that history is most certainly an error, and that it's an error because there appear to be some rewriting of history on the part of the church a very long time ago. This was done, I believe, to help prop up or support the doctrine of polygamy at the time. Unfortunately, that false narrative of the distant past now haunts many Mormons in the present. You might think the church would be better off if it exposed this false history, but that would require exposing those who knowingly took part in altering their history and manufacturing the false narrative. And therein lies the dilemma. And because of this dilemma, rather than dealing with a problem directly, the church has largely chosen to sweep it under the carpet in hopes that it just goes away. We'll touch on this later, keeping to verifiable facts, and then we'll let you draw your own conclusions. So, what does the Book of Mormon say about polygamy? Well, just before we read those verses, for anyone who doesn't really know what the Book of Mormon is, in the briefest description possible, it is a record of a people who left Jerusalem when the prophets warned the Jews that they would soon be defeated and taken captive by Babylon. Being led by God, these people, who would later be called the Nephites, ultimately traveled to the New World by boat and built up a civilization there. Not many generations after this, a prophet among the Nephites warned them to repent of their sins, the worst of which was polygamy. These words are found in the book of Jacob within the Book of Mormon. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written. Jacob is referring here to the written history of Israel, which the Nephites did have, and contained most of the books we presently have in the Old Testament portion of our Bibles today. Jacob continues on, saying, Behold, 
David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines. Which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord? Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of my arm, that I might raise up unto me a righteous branch. Wherefore, I, the Lord God, will not suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. My brethren, hear me, and hearken to the word of the Lord. For there shall not any man among you have, save it be, one wife, and concubines he shall have none. Jacob goes on to call this act of having more than one wife a whoredom, and reiterates that these, quote, whoredoms are an abomination before me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Wherefore, this people shall keep my commandments, saith the Lord, or cursed be the land for their sakes. Now, this next part is the verse that polygamists have used as an out. For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. Otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. People have taken this to mean that God could command men to take more than one wife if the need should arise. I find the meaning of this text to be less than fully clear. One of the things I've learned over the years is that any time you have people ignoring all the other scriptures that plainly speak to a subject, but cling instead to a single passage that might be interpreted contrary to the rest of the scriptures, you inevitably find a people who have deceived themselves out of their own unrighteous desires. Even if this very brief passage, which is never elaborated on, does actually mean what polygamists say it does. It must be pointed out that before that passage, God just indicated in the clearest language possible that polygamy is an abomination to him. And so even if God allowed someone like Abraham to engage in the practice of polygamy, the very passage in the Book of Mormon that polygamists use to justify this practice also indicates that this could only be done by the express command of God and that it would only be allowed as a temporary measure. By contrast, the revelation that Brigham Young and the Utah Church used in order to justify polygamy contradicts this verse in the Book of Mormon, because it essentially makes the practice an essential cornerstone of faith. Getting back to the Book of Mormon, Jacob goes on, speaking the word of the Lord to the Nephites, saying, For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem, yea, in all the lands of my people, because of the wickedness and abominations of their husbands. And I will not suffer, saith the Lord of hosts, that the cries of the fair daughters of this people, which I have led out of the land of Jerusalem, shall come up unto me against the men of my people, saith the Lord of hosts." End quote. In the Bible, we see the practice of polygamy in the Old Testament. But once we get into the New Testament, we see verses of Scripture explicitly stating that in order for a man to be allowed to function in various ministries of the church, they would have to be the husband of only one wife. Even so, nowhere do we see God directly confront the issue of polygamy in the Bible. Whereas, in the Book of Mormon, we actually have an outright rebuke of the practice. 
Let's continue in the book of Jacob where we left off. The prophet continues in his call for the Nephites to repent, saying, For they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their tenderness, save I shall visit them with a sore curse, even unto destruction. For they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. And now behold, my brethren, you know that these commandments were given to our father Lehi. Wherefore, you have known them before, and you have come unto great condemnation, for you have done these things which you ought not to have done. End quote. Here it is revealed that the great patriarch of the Nephites, a man named Lehi, had at one point given them an express commandment not to practice polygamy. Now, I find this very interesting because the reason polygamists give for why they think God needed to command Mormons to practice polygamy was because they needed to rebuild the Mormon population. But this revelation to begin practicing polygamy was given in a time when there were thousands of Mormons. We know of at least 19 people who entered into the boat that carried Lehi and his family to the New World. And by some accounts, when including other possible servants and children born in the wilderness, some have theorized that it could have been as much as 40 or maybe 50 people. I think that estimate is a little high. But regardless, think on this. If the people who came with Lehi to the Americas numbered somewhere between 20 and 50 people, and they did not need to practice polygamy in order to start a new nation, and in fact, their patriarch would prohibit them from doing so by a commandment from God, then why would 60,000 Mormons, it's the number who made the trek to Utah, why would they need polygamy in order to rebuild their population? Scientifically, mathematically, and biologically, it just doesn't even make sense. Listen, in the case of Abraham or Jacob in the Bible, I can see how God might make an allowance since these were just a single man from whom's loins an entire nation would spring forth. But this was never the case with Mormons. On average, the number of females born compared to males is very close. Historically speaking, there have been about 105 boys born for every 100 girls worldwide. If some apostle in the church takes a dozen wives, he is in no way increasing the population. At best, he is only robbing other men of the privilege of finding someone to marry and produce offspring with. And that's only if he could manage to maintain the highest level of sexual activity with all of those women. I think the argument could be made that 12 men, each with one wife, are likely to produce more children than one man with 12 wives. The practice of certain men having so many wives would also cause an increase with genetic problems, since there would be so much of the same DNA going around. But let's get back to the admonition Jacob is giving to the Nephites. Behold, you have done greater iniquity than the Lamanites, our brethren. You have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them and the sobbings of their hearts ascend up to God against you. End quote. 
Just a quick catching up here for those listeners who have never read the Book of Mormon. The Lamanites that are mentioned here are a group of people who rebelled from the main group of Nephites. They broke off early on and became a separate people who were known to be wicked and warlike. To finish up now in our reading of the Book of Mormon, Jacob concludes by saying, And the Lamanites, which are not filthy like unto you, shall scourge you even to destruction. And the time speedily cometh that, except you repent, they shall possess the land of your inheritance, and the Lord God will lead away the righteous out from among you. Behold, the Lamanites, your brethren, whom you hate because of their filthiness, are more righteous than you. For they have not forgotten the commandment of the Lord, which were given unto our fathers that they should have, save it were one wife, and concubines they should have none. And now this commandment they observe to keep. Wherefore, because of this observance in keeping this commandment, the Lord God will not destroy them, but will be merciful to them. And one day they shall become a blessed people. Behold, their husbands love their wives, and their wives love their husbands, and their husbands and their wives love their children. And their unbelief and their hatred towards you is because of the iniquity of their fathers. Wherefore, how much better are they than you in the sight of the great creator? End quote. I think everyone can agree that there's a lot said here in regards to the sin polygamy. Certainly, the words proclaiming its condemnation far outweigh the single statement that supporters of polygamy hold on to when trying to defend the revelation that would later be produced and endorse the practice. I find it ironic that the one thing Mormons are most known for by the rest of the world is polygamy, while the book that Joseph translated which really represents the very origin of the Latter-day Saint movement, actually condemns the practice of polygamy in the strongest terms possible, in a way that even the Bible fails to do. What if I told you that after he died, Joseph Smith's wife, Emma Smith, who knew Joseph better than anyone, maintained all of her life that her husband never taught or practiced polygamy, it is a well-known fact that she disliked Brigham Young and refused to endorse his leadership or cooperate with the man when he demanded certain writings belonging to Joseph Smith after his death. She also refused to go with the church when it traveled west to Utah. During this time in Nauvoo, Emma Smith received threatening letters from anonymous sources, stones were thrown at her house, and on one particular occasion, someone even tried to set her home on fire in the middle of the night. At this point, if you don't mind, I'd like to address the elephant in the room, which is the belief that Joseph Smith taught and practiced polygamy. What if I told you that there's no actual evidence of this? Some of you are probably starting to check out on me. However, if you'll bear with me for a moment, but what I'd like to do is just list six indisputable facts that I would ask you to consider. Not speculation, but actual verifiable facts. And after listening to those, you can then draw your own conclusions. 
Anyone can speculate or hold an opinion regarding these matters. But for all the things that have been said about Joseph, and all the words that have been placed in his mouth after his death, there are certain stubborn facts that just can't be overcome, regardless of what position people take. Fact number one. When Brigham Young and some other apostles took a missionary trip to England, they came across a church group that practiced polygamy. They proceeded to convert most of those polygamists to the church, and many of those polygamists then crossed the ocean to join up with the rest of the church in America. And as best as we can tell, this is how polygamy was first introduced among certain circles in the church. Before this occurrence, Polygamy had never played any role in the church and had never been mentioned. This is a fact, one that no one disputes. Fact number two. It is also a fact that Joseph Smith never publicly taught polygamy. And in fact, when he did speak on the matter in public, he always spoke against it in the strongest of terms. This is an indisputable fact. Although certain people in Utah would later begin to spread the idea that Joseph Smith was secretly endorsing it during that time, there's actually zero evidence of this. Fact number three. Joseph Smith died in 1844. The revelation that endorsed polygamy as being the will of God for the Mormon Church was not revealed until 1852, a full eight years after Joseph Smith was murdered. Up until this point, most people in the church had no idea that polygamy was being taught in any circle. And when this revelation went public in Utah, there were many saints who were still on their way to join up and go to Utah, but who then turned around and decided against it because of this doctrine of polygamy. Fact number four. Emma Smith long defended her husband, saying that he never did teach nor practice polygamy. Before her son would consider taking the role of prophet in the RLDS church, he first insisted on conducting his own investigation into the allegations of his father's role in polygamy. In poring over his father's paper, the claims of the LDS church, and in speaking to many witnesses, close friends of his father's, he could find no credible evidence of it either. Fact number five. The one and only express purpose for polygamy, according to the revelation on polygamy, is to produce as many children as possible. Joseph and Emma Smith had nine children together, so that means Joseph Smith was far from sterile. According to the Mormon Church, however, Joseph had up to 40 wives. And yet, it is a fact that not a single child was ever produced as a result. Oh, there were many claims regarding offspring from those marriages over the years, but the modern age of DNA testing finally caught up to these claims. It has since been revealed that none of the claims made regarding supposed descendants holds any water, genetically speaking. It would seem that science has laid bare the claims of Joseph's plural marriages. And finally, fact number six, even if it were true that Joseph secretly endorsed polygamy. The fact is, the ancient record he was tasked by God to translate, a book that was prophesied to, quote, confound false doctrine, end quote, 
goes to great lengths not only to teach that polygamy is an abomination, but further instructs us that God very specifically commanded the Nephites that this practice was prohibited on this particular land of promise, that the land would be cursed for anyone found committing this particular practice. And here's the salient point of all that. The land on which this practice was banned, on which the Nephites lived, is the very same land that the Mormon church would be established on. These are facts. Make of them what you will. We'll conclude the episode here. And if I haven't totally offended you yet, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and join us for our next episode. If you have questions or would like to share something, please feel free to email me at teacherinzion at gmail.com. That's teacherinzion, all one word with no spaces, at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion or at our YouTube channel teacher in Zion that's the word teacher space and in Zion spelled as one word my books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.